I'm really excited about this series that, that, we're, that we're starting today. Uh, over the next, I, I don't know if it's six or seven weeks, praying the Bible. So I've got, and I'm, gonna, I'm actually I'm going to give this book away at the end of my message. Um, about 17 years ago, um, Wesley Campbell, who wrote this book, and this is called Praying the Bible, the Book of Prayers. There's nothing super um, deep about the book other than it's a collection of prayers straight out of the Bible. I heard him speak. He came to the church where we were, where we were at, and he spoke on the importance of praying the Bible, and it marked me. And I bought a copy of his book, and I've been using it on and off seasonally for the last 17 years, using it to pray. And so I, there was, it, it, because it marked me so much, I want to bring it to you. And I've been waiting for the right opportunity, just had it in my heart and my spirit. And sometimes you've got these things that you want to do and you want to share, but there's just not the right timing. And over the summer, I felt God say, okay, now's the time. And so here we go. I want to teach you how to pray the Bible. Um, going forward, we're going to have at least a couple times a year where, where we put out these these you know, weeks of prayer. This is just a call to prayer like this week where we're calling our church family to pray. My heart is that we set aside times where we can gather together as a church family and we can pray together. And we've got then, you know, during those, that focus time where we, we will gather together, but we'll also encourage you to get into your prayer closet at home and pray on your own or pray with your spouse or, or with your children where we're taking just concentrated time as a church family and we are pressing in and highlighting prayer. And there'll be times when we'll say, hey, we really want to encourage you to fast, you know, as, as we pray and we'll, we'll get into those but there's at least a couple times a year I'm going to call our church family together to pray because I don't want to just see the intercessors empowered to prayer now an intercessor if you're not sure what that is those are people that feel like I've got a ministry of prayer and this is what God has called me to do um, I don't want to just see them praying because far it's it's far too easy and I think over the last 15 years or so, we've kind of defaulted to, to, to this. Oh, you've got the gift of evangelism? Cool, I'll let you evangelize and I'm not gonna talk to anybody about Jesus. You're an intercessor? Awesome, that means I don't have to pray. That's not true. It's our responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Some people are just really good at it. They're the evangelists, right? The rest of us, we suffer through it. And we chirp over our words and it feels like we've got sand in our mouth and we don't know what to say. That's okay. You're just sharing your heart. We are all called to pray, not just the intercessors. The intercessors are sometimes, they're just the ones that can do it for like 24 hours at a time, right? And they're just like, this is, this is where they come alive when we call prayer meetings, but what I want to do is I want to raise the watermark level of prayer in our church family. Not default to those that feel called to pray, but I want us all to learn how to pray and raise the overall watermark of prayer in our church. See, prayer in its most basic form is communicating with God. That's really all that prayer is. Prayer is, is talking and prayer is listening. Prayer is, is something that every believer should be engaged in. And I'd like to suggest that it's actually impossible to have a relationship with anyone, Jesus included, if there's no communication. What do you think the chances are that Renee and I would have ever gotten married and lasted the 21 years if we never, ever actually spoke? 
If I didn't, you know, have the courage to strike up a friendship with her and begin to, to communicate with her, I'd have to go out on a limb and say the chances are zero. Because she would have never even known that I was interested if I never approached and said hello and began to have a conversation. She would have never known how I felt about her if I never shared, hey, I'd like us to take our friendship to the, to the next level. I want to I date you. I want to be committed to you. Right? So if we don't have communication, we never get married. We never have kids. If we never communicate with Jesus, how do we expect to have a relationship with him? if we never actually talk to him. Learning how to pray involves prayer. That's really how you learn how to pray, is by praying. Right? We can, we can teach and we will teach you. I'll put some tools in your hands. But really, to learn how to pray, you just actually have to begin to pray. So those people that you see that, that they're, you know, that, man, they, they really know how to pray. It's because they spent time praying. Prayer is easier said than it is done. We like to, often in the church, we like to talk a good prayer game, but actually play the prayer game is a whole different story. And it's just as true today that prayer is easier said than done as it was when Jesus walked the earth. See, you know this because the disciples said, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? See, they didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand it. And they had front row seats to the Son of God communicating with the Father. Can you imagine living day and night with Jesus for three and a half years, walking with him, eating with him, sleeping with him, laying around the campfire with him, and seeing him in prayer with the Father? That was, you know, if he didn't escape and go off by himself in secret and leave everybody behind, which he often did, escape to go away, to be alone with the Father. But they got to see his prayer life. And there was something in Jesus' prayer life where they're like, I don't get it. Jesus, can you teach us how to do that? See, you know, it's, it's not like the disciples didn't know prayer, right? Jewish people are people of prayer. It's like in their cultural roots. It's like the roots of their religious faith is in prayer, and all of Jesus' friends, all the disciples, they were all Jewish. So they were all exposed to prayer. But there was something different about how Jesus prayed. How many of us have ever gone into prayer? And you're like, okay, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And you get into prayer and you're like, I don't know what to say. What, what am I doing here? I've been there. Or if you, who's ever been to a prayer meeting and you walk into the prayer meeting and you feel like everybody in the room has a doctorate degree in prayer and you're a, you're a high school prayer dropout because you're like, man, they're using big words. It flows, it's eloquent and it's just all this stuff. And I'm like, Jesus, Jesus. And that's all I got. Come on, I've been there. So this series, Praying the Bible, is going to give you a foundation to build your prayer life on. I want to equip you so that you can have a dynamic and powerful prayer life. And I believe, really, I really believe that it starts with praying 
prayers that have already been written down. You don't have to think, what am I going to say? Because the Bible holds prayers that God wrote down so that we can pray back to him. You just have to read it straight from the Bible. You know, praying the Bible is something that's been done throughout history. Right from the early Jews at the very beginning of the Bible, right through to the early church fathers and beyond, people prayed the prayers of the Bible. See, today in, in our churches, we don't hear a lot about actually praying the Bible. And I, I'd say that this, is, this might very well be the first time in history where praying the Bible isn't commonly practiced. I can tell you I have heard the Bible prayed and taught on one time in my entire life have I ever heard anybody talk about and teach on and instruct on how to pray the Bible. That's it. You know, the greatest commandment in the Jewish faith is called the Shema. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9. This is what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This, this is a call to prayer. See, this is what children, like Jewish children, as soon as they were able to talk, they were taught this prayer. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, wait a minute. Nowhere in that passage was the word prayer ever said. I didn't hear God talk about prayer or say, this is how you should pray. But in the Jewish history, this is one of their most important prayers, one of the first prayers that they teach their children. It might not... Talk about prayer in the way that we think of prayer. But this is prayer. This is the roots of our Christian faith. The commandments that that passage is speaking of is the law. It's the Old Testament law. And they were to talk about them constantly. And not, not in a way of let's sit down and have a Bible study and we'll talk about the law. But they were to talk about them as prayer. As speaking them out loud repeatedly, over and over. This is how Jesus was taught to pray. Joseph, Jesus' father, as soon as Jesus was able to, to speak, would have taught him the Shema prayer. Taught him how to pray the Bible. The foundation of Jesus' prayer life was praying the Bible. So in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, this is what God says to Joshua. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, God is instructing Joshua. He's teaching Joshua how to pray. And he says, meditate. Meditate on the law. Always. Day and night. Let it be on your lips. See, when we think of meditate, we often think of, you know, Eastern religion meditation where they, they sit down on the, on the ground and they, they cross their legs and they, they empty their minds. They're like, think of nothing. Just think of emptiness. Empty yourself and then just be in complete silence and just sit in silence. And that's 
meditation. But that's not biblical meditation. That's what the enemy has taken, what God said is meditation, and the enemy took that and twisted it into something different. This is what biblical meditation is. That word that we read, meditate, is the Hebrew word hagah, and it means to moan, to growl, to mutter, or to speak. And these are just a few ways out of the book of Isaiah that that word is used. It says in Isaiah 31 and verse 4, the lion roars or growls Hagah over his prey. It says we moan Hagah sadly like doves in Isaiah 59 and verse 11. And in Isaiah 8 and verse 19 it says this, spiritists and mediums speaking of the occult whisper and mutter Hagah. See biblical meditation isn't quiet contemplative thinking. Biblical meditation is out loud. It's where you take a verse or a passage of the Bible, a phrase, and you begin to repeat it. You're praying it out loud over and over and over. You're taking the words of God and you're speaking them back out to God. Wesley Campbell, who's the author of this book, he asked this question. He says, do you know why God wants you to pray the Bible out loud? So that you know when you've stopped. See, when you're praying the Bible out loud, it's very difficult for your mind to wander and to think about other things. It's very hard to focus on something else other than what you are reading or other what you're speaking out from memory out loud. Has anybody ever had an experience like this in prayer? You're like, okay, I'm going to pray. And you get alone, maybe you're in your room or you're in the living room and there's nobody around. And you, you're, this is all like thoughts in your head. You're not actually speaking anything, but you're you know, on your knees, maybe in front of your bed. Your eyes are closed and you begin to pray in your mind. You begin to pray, you know, Jesus, pray for my daughter. That she would be a releaser of your kingdom on her school campus. School. Oh, right. She needs new shoes. Needs. Needs. I'm hungry. Tacos would be so good right now. Oh, with fresh guac. 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 That's a funny word. Guacamole. Mole. Whack-a-mole. Now that was a fun game. Whack. Whacked. I feel whacked. I need coffee. Wait, wait, wait. What a minute. What am I doing down on my knees? Right, I'm praying. This is, I'm, okay, maybe it's just me. That's how my mind works. If I just sit, you know, on the floor or I'm on my knees and I don't say anything and I just try and pray. My, my mind goes strange, weird places. It just, it's, it's a rabbit running around in there. And then sometimes, you know, the hamster falls off the wheel and I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Or, or I'll, I'll do this. I'll be praying and I'll be like. <laughs> Next thing you know, I've slept for 15 minutes and I was like, whoo, Jesus, that was some good prayer power napping. That was great. <laughs> You pray the Bible out loud so that you know when you've stopped praying. Because the words stop coming out of your mouth. Father St. Cassian says, or said this, The man who prays only when on his knees prays a little. The man who kneels to pray and then lets his mind wander prays not at all. See, when we pray the Bible out loud back to God, 
we take control of our minds and we transform our spirit. We partner with God using God's very words that he gave to us. And those words, the words of God, when we speak them out loud over and over and over and we pray the Bible, they get down into our spirits and that's where we learn the Bible. That's where the Bible transforms us. That's where it, it, Paul talks about we are renewed by the washing of the word over our mind. Why? Because it's always on our lips and we're speaking it out loud to God. Praying the Bible out loud is praying prayers that God initiated, orchestrated, and had someone write down for us. If you've never taken time and made it a, a, a discipline, a habit to pray the Bible, it is a powerful way to pray. So over the next several weeks, that's why I want to take the time to look at specific prayers from the Bible, teach out of them. What, what, what is that person actually praying? What are they asking for? And then we can pray them together. So today, so that was all my introduction. Woo! I want to look at the prayer that Jesus gave to the disciples after they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I'm going to look at it from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And this is what Jesus said. Pray then in this way. And most of us probably know this by heart, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So let's walk through the prayer a little bit. What is Jesus actually saying to the disciples? He starts by saying, pray this way, our Father. Now you can't just skip over that. That's not like he's writing a letter, dear Father God. He's saying, our Father. Father. Jesus is letting the disciples and us know that it's not just his father. I mean, he's the son of God. Clearly, that's his father. But this is our father. This is inclusive of us. The relationship that Jesus has with the father is available to you and it's available to me because God is our father. He's my father. He's your father. When I was growing up, I would approach friends' fathers differently than I approached my own father. There is because because there's a different relationship there, right? Like, well, that's Jonathan's dad, and so I'm going to approach him a little bit differently than I would my dad. My dad, I would walk right up to, and I would ask for things. I would share how I was feeling, like what was happening in my life. I mean, I'm not just going to go over to like a friend's dad. You know, you're going over to hang out after school, and you just like spill your beans, like your whole life to him. But I would do that to my father because there's, there's, the relationship is different. I've got access to my father, right? So when Jesus says, pray this way, our father, he is saying to us, you have access to the father who's in heaven. You have the ability to confidently approach his throne, to approach him with your needs, with your pain, with your wants, with your praise, with your thanks, with your love, and you know that you will not be turned away and that you will not be denied. Why? Because he is our father, and the father does not deny his children. We sang it today. He's a good father. 
There's a reason why that's a continuous theme that we sing in this church over and over because we need it to get down in here into our spirits that he's a good father. He's not mean. He's not angry. He, does, you know, he, he, he wants to spend time with us. He wants to draw us in. He goes on and Jesus said, hallowed is your name. Or depending on the translation you read, it'll say holy. But that's what hallowed means. Holy. And it speaks to God's greatness. It speaks to God's perfect nature. It declares that the name of the Lord is to be glorified and magnified. God is our Father, but at the same time, He is holy. And He is high and lifted up. And He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He is awesome. This keeps the reverence and awe that we should have for God, even though he's still our Father, but it keeps that reverence in the right place. For he is holy. Right? We know that we can approach him with confidence because Hebrews says that. But it also says in, I believe it's 1 Timothy, that he dwells in unapproachable light. So we've got this. Yes, you can approach with, with boldness and confidence to the throne of grace. But on the other hand, he dwells in unapproachable light. He's our father, but yet he's holy and he is awesome. In everything... May your greatness be seen, God, in everything. May great, your greatness be declared. Everything I do is for your glory, God, because your name is holy. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And oftentimes, when we read this, this is thought of as this is a request. But this isn't so much of a request as it is a declaration. See, we're not asking for the kingdom of God to come. We are declaring kingdom of God has come. Right? It's, it's right here. It's right now. That's what Jesus said when he walked the earth. He said, where is the kingdom? He said, well, it's within you. He also said, it's at hand. The kingdom has come. So we're not asking God, like, please let your, allow your, your kingdom to come. We are declaring in this situation right here, right now, kingdom come. His kingdom is established right here, right now. It's not asking God to do it. It's declaring that it is done. The kingdom of God is established and it is expanding. We're not seeking for his will to be done. We are declaring the will of God be done now. Right here, right now. This changes the whole dynamic of the prayer. When we're not asking God, would you please let your kingdom come? Would you please let your will be done? But we are declaring it. It changes the, the power with a declarative tone rather than asking. You're looking at situations that are before you. These situations of need, of, of financial need, of relational need, of, of physical healing need. And you're not like, please, Jesus, let your kingdom. No, you're like, your kingdom come now. It's here. Your will be done here now. But what, I don't know if it's the will of God. We're going to learn to pray the Bible so that you know what the will of God is. Because I can tell you and stand here confidently. That I know that it's the will of God to heal everyone all the time. In every situation, every person, it's God's will that they would be healed. Now you're probably saying, well, I know this person who wasn't healed and that person who died of this. And yes, that's a whole other message, so I won't follow that down. But I'll, and I'll just I'll say this. Is it God's will that everyone be saved? Yes. Is everyone saved? Why is it any different? We know the will of God from his word.
the forceful advancement of the kingdom of God and the submission of our will to his will so that we can see the kingdom of heaven established here on earth. That's our mandate. That's what he's asked us to do. Make earth look like heaven. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Whether we realize it or not, God is our source. Whether you recognize him as your provider or not, he provides. It's just what he does because it's who he is. It's his name. Jehovah Jireh. God the provider. He can't help but provide because it's his name. So asking for provision today is not short-sighted. It's heaven-minded. We only have this moment. This is all that we have right now. And in the next moment, all the moments might be taken away from us. We don't know that. This could be it. This could be the last gathering that we all ever have together. Something catastrophic might happen. Jesus might return. This is the only moment that we're guaranteed. So Jesus says, pray, give us this day, today, our daily bread. It's the realization of our total reliance on God. Because we only have this moment, I'm going to ask God, I need you to give me today my needs today, my daily bread today, and tomorrow I'll come back and I'll seek you again for what I need tomorrow. But I don't need tomorrow's bread today. Now this isn't to say that we don't work hard and that we don't store up and we don't save because Proverbs, Proverbs says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, Right? So it's not just about, I'm only going to live today and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be any sight for the future. I'm only going to here and now. But no, we only ask for the provision here and now. But we work hard, right? And we save and we provide for our families and we store up an inheritance for our grandchildren. But there are times, come on, we've all been here where God is, that's it. <laughs> God, I just need to take I don't have anything for today, which means I got nothing for tomorrow, but I'm not promised tomorrow, God. I need today because I got bills and I got family to feed and I got to put a roof over my head and I don't know. You know, Brian Johnson in his book, When God Becomes Real, he wrote this. Consider it a gift when God becomes your only option. Family, if we can live with only one option... Man, you're unstoppable. With Jesus as your only option, you're unstoppable. Don't live with a backup plan. Like, well, what happens if, if this thing falls through? I, I don't <laughs> What happens if this doesn't work right here? here for, I don't know for me. I don't know what happens if this doesn't work. This is my only option. It's just Jesus. This is what he's asked me to do, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I've got no other options. I've got no backup plan. I'm not a mechanical engineer or electrician. Or I'm a pastor. That's it. So if this thing fails, if somehow, Lord Jesus, help me. If I don't drive this thing into the ground and push you guys all out the front door, if that happens, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. No one's going to hire me after that. So if you see me on the boulevard with a, you know, flying a cardboard sign, throw a dollar my way. Because this is my only option. But it's a great way to live. And then Jesus says, forgive us as we have forgiven. You just take that at face value. Some of us are in real trouble. 
do you really want to be forgiven as you have forgiven? Some of us, that answer is a hard no. See, it's important for us to keep short accounts with God and with people. Seeking forgiveness, man, that's a daily slice of humble pie. Every single day, you humble yourself before the Lord and you're like, oh, man, God, I, I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I, I, I did, you know, I thought my motive, you know, and you are humbling yourself before the Lord, which is hard. But I'd rather humble myself before the Lord than have the Lord humble me. The Bible says that he, is a, he opposes the proud. You never want to be on that end of being opposed by God. So we humble ourselves. Listen, I'm not perfect. Now I know that's a shock to everybody here. I'm sorry. I've already let you down. I'm not perfect. Renee's like, yes, Lord, I know. <laughs> I need to seek forgiveness first and foremost, always, from Jesus. Always. Even if, you know, like, even if I offend you, I've, I, I sinned against Jesus first. Right? I need to make that right. I need this. I need this vertical. I need this to be right. I need to keep myself in a place of humble submission. Father, forgive me. Because I know and I understand that it was my sin that nailed him to that cross. And that breaks me every time I... Every time I allow myself to think of that, that I did that to Jesus, that hurts my heart. I also need to keep short accounts with people. I need to seek forgiveness when I've wronged, and I need to forgive when I've been the one wronged. Listen, as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we have to lead the way on this. We have to show the world what it looks like to seek forgiveness, first from God, but then one from another. I mean, there's far too many of us that are, that are walking around offended. We go to church and we're offended and we're mad and we're angry because this person did that and they said that or they didn't say this or they looked at me that way or I wasn't treated right, I wasn't given an opportunity, I was told no, I, I was told I couldn't do that. I was told, hey, you're living in sin when I was living in sin, but whose right is it of yours to tell me when I'm living in sin? And so we're upset and we're offended. And so I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to go to the church down the street. And I'm going to take my offense over there and I'm going to bring that infection and sickness and bad attitude. I'm going to infect that church down the street. All the while creating destruction wherever I go. Why? Because I'm hurt and I'm wounded inside and I'm bitter and I'm angry. And the world looks at us and is like, I don't know what you're selling, but I don't want any of that because you're a mess. I know I'm a mess. You're a mess and don't even realize it. And so the world's like, I want none of whatever you're giving away. I wouldn't even pay for that. Right? we got to lead the way. So you're mad? You're mad at somebody? Then go and talk to them. Go meet them. Go say, hey, you hurt me when you said that. When you did that, I was hurt. And give them the opportunity like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. Reconciliation. That's what we're given 
In Corinthians, Paul says we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We reconcile ourselves to God and people to God, but we reconcile one to another. So if we've got relationships that are not reconciled, we are not living right. We need to make it right, which is not easy. Again, it goes back to the easier said than done. It's time for us to live what the Bible teaches and demonstrate to the world that there's a better way to live. I want to do that. I want to do that. I know there's people that I've hurt and that I need to go and make, make it right. And I know there's people who've hurt me and I need to go on it. We, we need to sit down and we need to talk. I know that. And I'm, sh- I'm sharing that as I'm standing before you. I mean, Renee can tell you a couple weeks ago, I felt convicted and I'm like, God, this is what God's speaking to me about. I need to... I need to meet with some people and make it right. I said, just pray into it because I don't know how to do that. I don't know if they'll meet with me. I don't know if they'll talk to me. But we have to try. Listen, this is not a complete teaching on the Lord's Prayer. That's what we call this, the Lord's Prayer. I just highlighted a few things that I felt God wanted to say to us today. Now I want to, I know, and we're going to baptize some folks today, which is awesome. Um, but I don't want to just teach you on prayer. I want us to pray. And so um, if you're the one who's operating the slides, if you can go back to uh, that scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 that I had in my PowerPoint. I want to show you what it looks like when I pray the Bible. And we can pray, that we can pray the Bible together. Because this, not all the prayers of the Bible can you personalize and make it yours and stick your name in there. But this is a really good one. Right? So some people will teach this as this is a template way to pray. I just pray it straight up, right? So let's do this. Let's all stand, and we're, we're going to, to pray together. And so you, like, pray with me. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I know we just repeated it twice, but that's meditation. See, now we're meditating and we're praying, right? I know it seems, well, it's repetitive is really what it seems. It is. But it's okay because that's meditation. So I will pray these prayers through a couple times and then I'll begin to pray, God, you are my father and you are in heaven. You are seated in heaven, but I have access to you. Holy is your name. You are holy and you are awesome. And I love you with everything that's within me. I pray, God, your kingdom come now into my situation, into my family, into my church. I declare your kingdom is here. It's at hand right now. And I declare, God, that your will is done in my church and in my family. Your will be done. 
And I pray, God, that you would give me my daily bread, that you provide for all my needs, and that you provide for my church and all my church family members' needs, that every bill would have a dollar attached to it for day for today. We're not worried about tomorrow. We're only concerned about today. So, Father, I'm asking for today's bread, daily provision, that you would provide for us today, that every bill would be paid, that every debt would be canceled in Jesus' name. God, and that you would forgive me for how I have wronged you, for my bad attitude and the stinky words that come out of my mouth and the way that I think and the things that I do that are not wrong. I, 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 I transgress against you and I ask you, Father, to forgive me, that you would wash over me with your love, with your grace and with your mercy. God, and I forgive those who have who've sinned me and who have hurt me, who spoke ill will against me, who, who were gossiping against me and who said lies against me and who were trying to manipulate and control me. I forgive them. And this is where I would work in people's specific names and specific situations. That's between me and God, though. And God, I pray that you would lead me not into temptation. I know that you don't tempt me, but that you would keep my feet on the straight and narrow. God, that I would not be swayed this way or that way by shiny objects or things that look to, to be fulfilling and appealing, but in the end, they just ashes. God, keep my feet on the straight and narrow. Keep my heart right, for I know that it is the wellspring of life, and out of my heart flow all the issues of life, so keep my heart pure. Let me I not be tempted, for yours is the kingdom. God, it's yours, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory, and yours is the honor forever and ever. Amen and amen. And family, that's how you pray the Bible. Who, who would like the book? I know I'm walking off camera, so if you're watching online, I'm, that's it, I'm going home. No, I'm kidding, I'm just giving a book away. So, we've got like six weeks in the series. I ordered like, I ordered a bunch of books. And so, whoever's speaking, I've just told them, I just want you to give a book away every week. And if you're not sure if you're, well, maybe I won't get a book. Just come and see me and I'll, I'll sell you a book. We cover the shipping. You're going to get a good deal from us. Right? And then the other thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to leave a copy or two in the prayer room. So when you come tonight to pray from 6 to 7, you're going to find a copy or two of the book of prayers on the stage or on the seat. And you can grab it, and you know, you'll, it'll take a little while to get used to how it's laid out, but then you can walk around and just pray Scripture out loud. That's one of the things that we're going to do together. We're just going to pray Scripture and seek the Lord. Man, I'm excited. God is good. He's up to some great things. Family, man, you know, I'll end with this. John Wesley said this. No, it wasn't John Wesley. It was Oswald Chambers. I'll probably say this again next week when I speak because I wrote it down. Oswald Chambers said, prayer isn't what you do so that you can do the greater work. Prayer is the greater work, right? Prayer is not what you do before you start the job. Prayer is the job. So if we can get the prayer down, stuff down, we're going to see souls saved. We're going to see bodies healed. We're going to see people set free and delivered from the demonic and raised from the dead. We're going, to, we're going to take the city. We're going to turn it upside down, which is right side up in the kingdom of God. And we're going to see things completely transformed if we become people of prayer. Amen. All right.